What is up guys and welcome to episode 16 of the Amazon Hustle where we talk all things Amazon. I think I need a better tag than that. Like I've been trying to figure out how I want to, like I've been trying out new intros at first, like you guys know for the first 14 episodes, I didn't even do an intro. I just jumped right into the whole episode, whoever I'm interviewing for that week. But I decided that I'm going to start doing intros just to kind of talk to you guys before I actually get into the interview with whoever is on for that week. And I want something where it just rolls off the tongue smooth and it's like, okay, once you hear that, then you're like, yeah, we're listening to the Amazon Hustle podcast. So I, I'm going to keep trying this out for the next couple episodes and we'll get there at some point in time. But it is episode 16. I am really happy about that. I remember when I first decided to start doing this podcast, I said I was only going to do, well, I didn't say I was only going to do, I just said I wanted to get to 10 podcast episodes and then I'll decide what I was going to do. But as long as I could get to 10, then if I didn't like it, then at least I know I put in some effort into it and I can make an informed decision on it instead of just doing what like a lot of people would do, which this is no shade because I am one of those people too. Like I'll stop something after a couple of times if I see I don't like it or I don't see any progress, but that's something I'm trying to fix. Speaking of trying to fix, in this episode, we have Jonathan, who is also known as Duke Does Amazon. He is an Amazon seller. He does retail arbitrage, online arbitrage. Um, he is a YouTuber. He is actually one of my favorite Amazon YouTubers, and he is still small. I'm not acting like I'm bigger or any or anything like that, but he is still small. But I know for a fact, if he keeps going the way he's going, he's going to be one of the biggest Amazon YouTubers because I can kind of, I don't know, um, as a YouTuber, I know... Let's put it like this. There's a lot of people who try to do YouTube and they do a couple of videos and they're consistent for a couple of weeks and then they realize how much work actually goes into being consistent on YouTube. Like I put out three videos a week and that's not just something I just wake up and I just put a video together. It goes with script writing, research, shooting, editing, posting, finding the right title, finding the right tags. There's a lot that goes into it than just putting up a video. And a lot of people quit after a couple of weeks or after a, a couple of months Either they realize that it's too much work or they realize that they're not going to go viral as soon as they put up their awesome video that everybody should watch. And then they realize that it's going to take some time before you can actually build a um, audience and then your and, and then your subscribers start coming in. Like I've been doing YouTube for like two years now and I'm just now at the point to where I can kind of predict how many subscribers I'm going to get a day and it's starting to roll over to where I actually see from one week to the next week, I can see a big difference in how many subscribers I got. And as I was saying, Jonathan, he does, I see a lot of the things that I do, he does too. And in this interview, we talk about it and he actually um, confirms what I already thought. And he does like, he takes it very, very serious and I like it. And the, um, and the information that he puts out, the way he puts it out, he's very charismatic on screen. I'm sounding like I want to date this dude. Um, no, he's, <laughs> he puts a lot of effort into his videos. And I know if he continues to go like this, then he will be very big on YouTube and we talk about what our goals are in YouTube. We actually talk about a lot in this podcast. We talk about, of course, we talk about Amazon, how he started, why he started, what he does, how he does it, all that type of stuff. I talk about Amazon on my YouTube channel, on my Instagram and on my podcast, the, the podcast that you listen to now, but I have other interests that I even enjoy more than Amazon and YouTube is one of those, like the more I do YouTube, the more I start to really enjoy it and I, and I like talking about YouTube and I also like to talk about self-improvement. That's 
something that like that's probably my biggest topic and it's very rare that I can talk to somebody else about self-improvement because a lot of people just look at me like I'm crazy when I say things like I wake up at five in the morning even on the weekends or I go to bed at nine o'clock so I can wake up at five o'clock in the morning or I schedule every single thing that I do and I could tell you last week on Tuesday at 7 p.m. I could tell you exactly what I was doing where I was at a lot of people think that that's like OD. So it was like really cool that me and Jonathan's conversation led to the self-improvement thing. He was all in and he was telling me and we were sharing tips and stuff like that. So this podcast is a lot more than just Amazon. Of course, you're going to get your Amazon tips where he drops a lot of tips about sourcing, going from retail arbitrage to doing online arbitrage, a lot of keeper tips and so much more. But we also talk about self-improvement and how to improve your life and how to improve your habits and things like that. We talk about YouTube and it's just a whole whirlwind of topics that we talk about so i really hope you guys enjoy this episode episode 16 with duke does amazon if you guys do enjoy it which i know you will enjoy it so just do it now do me a favor and give this podcast a five-star review if you're watching it on youtube please like the video share it on your socials and let's get right into the episode so jonathan can you do me a favor and tell the listeners who you are and exactly what it is that you do yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, my name is Jonathan. My uh, I go by Duke Does Amazon, named after my furry best friend on social media. But basically, I've been reselling on Amazon, doing retail and online arbitrage for about two and a half years now. Uh, first 18 months, two years was predominantly retail arbitrage, which is going to everyday brick and mortar stores and then selling them for profit on Amazon. In the last six months, I've kind of delved in like 90% online arbitrage, basically the same principle, but instead of going to stores, I go to stores online and then sell those products to Amazon or on Amazon, not to Amazon. <laughs> um, before we even get into it, I can tell that you are a YouTuber because the way you explain every single thing, is like the way that a YouTuber does it compared <laughs> to somebody who does. And they're like, yeah, I do retail arbitrage and yeah, I like that. So, okay. You. So you've been selling for two and a half years. So first question is. How did you even find out about selling on Amazon and why and why did you start selling on Amazon? Yeah, good question. So basically, I have another small business outside of this. Um, and to take it back a little further, I've always been entrepreneurial, always had a side hustle. I mean, I lived in South Florida. When the hurricanes would come, I would put up shutters. Uh, in college, I would buy and sell textbooks. So I was always into flipping, right? Um, but I'm 34. When I was in college, it was Craigslist and it was Facebook and it was not Amazon the way that you think of it today. There was a time Amazon was just books for all the youngsters out there, right? Yeah. And uh, anyway, cargo trailers, homes, Ikea furniture, I would buy and sell everything. And then COVID came and it halted my small business, which is a brewery touring business. Shameless plug, damn good beer bus. Okay. Um, and so anyway, in the back of my mind, it had bothered me. I got away from buying and selling as a side hustle. And when COVID happened, I said, I have no excuse. I submerged myself in a couple of days worth of YouTube videos. And I thought retail arbitrage was the most actionable, least amount of startup and just right up my alley of what I've done before, basically buying and selling things. So I'm really sorry to stop you. Like I'm yeah. really sorry to stop you. But I get that, but what made you pick Amazon? Why not eBay or, gotcha. or, or um, Poshmark? Like, what was it about Amazon and how did you find that before you decided to do retail arbitrage? Yep. So, so really, it was just, I think I couldn't tell you the exact thought process, but I went onto YouTube mm -hmm. and I just, I don't remember the keywords I was typing, but I was basically trying to get guidance on the modern way to 
resale. to sell online. Like, okay. you know, and then, and then everything leads you to Amazon and then yeah. all the different options. And I just niched, you know, niche down into retail arbitrage. You know, if I came across other videos of other people, maybe I would have went private label or maybe I would have went online arbitrage, but you know, I saw it made enough sense to me and it was actionable enough that I could literally walk out my door right then and there that day to get started. And the biggest thing I'll give myself credit for and things that I tell everybody actions, everything like you can only, you can only watch so many YouTube videos. You can only read so many books, listen to so many podcasts. Eventually you have to spread your wings and just be willing to make a mistake. And, and I've never had a problem doing that. And that's why I dove in. Yeah, I like that what you just said, because I always have a saying that when somebody says, oh, like I think a lot of people when they first decide to start Amazon or any type of business or pretty much anything, they overanalyze it. And I always say you just have to jump off the mountain and learn how to fly, fly on your way down. And I think that's like the best way to go, because no matter how much studying YouTube videos, courses you're going to take, you're going to make mistakes. So you might as well just get those mistakes out the way. Completely agree with you. I mean, um, you know, I, and I do want to, to prep or clarify something like for those people that might say, well, like you have to calculate some sort of risk. I'm, I'm not saying just to go in blindly and spend $50,000 on a supply from overseas. Right. Right. But, but eventually, you know, enough. And especially with Amazon, there's so many sellers. It's not like anything you're going to encounter hasn't already been encountered. And because there's so much abundance and opportunity on Amazon, there's so many people giving out free game that like, I assure you, you can get the answer to any of your hiccups at any given time. I, I want to go back to a little bit before we start talking about Amazon, because you said that as long as you can remember, you always had some type of side business or some type of side hustle. Were you the kid that was in school, like selling candy and mixtapes? <laughs> like, was that you? Not, not quite. But I mean, to, to give you some like uh, something that sticks out in my mind that at the time, it's like normal for me. But, but, you know, people would like laugh at it, not in a hating way, just like, yeah, that's, that's him doing his thing. But like, <laughs> when I, when I was right out of college, I had a corporate job paying like 30 grand a year. Right. Mm -hmm. And I found this niche of Ikea furniture that, so I would go pick it up from people on Craigslist. I had a storage unit and then I would sell it to people straight out of my storage unit. And before I even bought the furniture, cause there's only, you know, I knew what it was going to sell for. So I knew what price I had to get it at. Mm -hmm. It's no buying and selling is even though the different platforms, different physical goods, it's the same thing. You buy low, you sell high. You have to understand the market based on history and projections. But at the end of the day, it's an oldest business model in the game and it will always be around. But no, I wasn't in school doing that stuff, but always stuff like that. I remember picking up a foosball table on the side of the road in college they were put it out for trash. I put it on Craigslist, made 50 bucks that night type of thing. Like, like just, I, I could give you a hundred examples of that. Right. right. Um, but always just kind of had that in me. Right. Okay. So you were looking for some way to like the modern way of doing reselling. Were you working a full-time job at that time or were you um, already self-employed with your other, with your other business? Yeah. So at that point I was fully self-employed with my other business. Um, and so so I basically was halted, right? I mean, I was able to get some like, uh, you know, there was some like uh, loan stuff or grant stuff locally. So, uh, and I live simply. So like, it wasn't the end of the world, but no, I didn't have like a steady paycheck to fall back on or anything like that. So I just, I just invested my time and I, 
you know, I will say I didn't just throw myself into going from zero to a million overnight. Like there's skepticism. There's, let me feel this out. You know, you hear people talk about IP complaints and this and that. So I think I went about this and continue to at a very methodical rate, um, which by the way, is a conversation for another day. Cause I would love to talk cash flow Cause I feel like that never gets talked about. We can but, talk about um, it too. Also, definitely. Cause I have some, a couple of questions about cash flow also. So we can talk about it. All right, cool. So yeah, but, but yeah, so, so I was, I was pretty much fully committed to this. I was going to stores every day, even if it was only spending a hundred bucks, 200 bucks after action, the next biggest thing consistency. Right. And, and so those I've already explained, I took action and I was consistent and that's kind of where we are today. You know, where it led to this at least. Okay. So when you saw about retail arbitrage, I'm just guessing you probably saw people like Reezy and like Rakin and profits okay. and like people like that. Um, did you believe it when you first saw it? You know, I, I did because I had a history of reselling things right. and I just knew I've always known there's a million ways to make a bucks in this day and age. And, and especially like, I still don't think people fully grasp it. I don't even think I fully grasp the power of the internet, but it's just like, it's, it's indescribable, right. Mm -hmm. To full the full magnitude of it. And so, um, and actually the people you mentioned, Reezy, yes, it was a group called hustle buddies, actually. Um, I've heard of them, but I've never seen them. It's funny. It's very different. Cause it was like right before, like they don't, they don't go for like um, huge viewership on like Instagram and shorts and all of that. Like they were, I also think they hit at the perfect time. I think a lot of online businesses or YouTube channels did with COVID. Right. Yeah. And it just snowballed, but they, they were really solid. And, um, and yeah, so I, I, you know, as soon, as soon as I found my first product, I was like, I was like, okay, I could see why this works, you know, right. do you, it, um, do you remember how much you started out with? Yeah, that's a common question. Um, I'm really big on starting with the bare bones and going from there, right? And so I, I will be honest, I didn't give myself a set budget of, hey, $2,000, $3,000, $1,000, whatever. I said, I, I, the only tool I think I got was Keepa right off the bat, right? And by the way, if, if you're listening and you're new, I would say Keepa, Inventory Lab from day one. And then I've only added one or two from there, but those are like, to me, game changers, especially if you're doing retail arbitrage. Um, so I started with that. And then, yeah, I mean, I think I was spending, you know, one to $3,000 the first month and just scaling up a little bit, a little bit, but it wasn't for lack of capital. It was for, I want to see, I'm going to create a shipment. This sells, this sells, you know, what do they actually sell for? What's my payout look like? So now I'm at a point where there's definitely like budgets, but at the time, because I wasn't going so hard so fast and because capital wasn't such a huge constraint. And by the way, retail arbitrage, the returns are great relative to online that it didn't take me a fortune to prove the concept. That's kind right. of the term I was looking for. I just wanted to prove the concept. Right. Okay. Um, after, okay. So you did your first shipment. What, like, how did you feel when you got your first sale? Was it, was it like, all right, now it's ready to go even harder or like, were you happy about it or how was that? Yeah, I actually have a funny, a really quick little funny story about my first sale. So it no was problem. Memorial Memorial Day weekend, 2020. Okay, because again, COVID was like March, mm. April, right? Yeah. To give you give you an idea of when it happened, and I had Walmart clearance, and I found these logs that were like fire starter kicks or kits, and sure enough, they're hazmat, right? So, um, but you know, very common mistake, not the end of the world. So I sell them FBM but I'm going away for the weekend to go to, to like Asheville, North Carolina. I was, I was living in South Florida. Mm -hmm. 
and I got the notification that it's sold and I'm like, you know, whatever. Like, I thought that was, I thought that was cool, but I was also like, Oh, Oh shoot. Like, so I need to get this out. And thankfully I got back oh, in time. Cause I would have been, a you were doing way. FBM. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah, you. Oh, sorry. Got you. So that, so I had to do FBM mm -hmm. because, because it was a hazardous material. Gotcha. Right. But anyway, yeah. Once, once I saw that, even before that, when I was in the store and I was doing the numbers very quickly, I was like, Oh wow. Okay. So now I can see how this works. Not to mention there's thousands of other people online telling me it works. They're not any smarter or better at this than me. It's, I know it's feasible. And then, you know, then you do th things in your head like, wow, I found $100 worth of profit today. If I do that every day for a year, that's $36,000. Mm -hmm. I do $200 a day. That's 70. You know what I mean? And you just start realizing, like, regardless of what, where you want to land, it's le it's legitimately possible. Right. Okay. So what did your friends and family think about when you started to get really deep into doing the whole Amazon um, FB? Wait, when you said that you did the logs as FBM, was everything FBM or was it just the logs because because it was hazmat? Good question. So no, I fully intended to do FBA. Okay. okay. Um, this just for those not familiar, if you buy something and you don't realize it's a hazardous material, um, you can still sell it on Amazon. But like we're talking about, you have to do FBM where I send it directly to the customer not to Amazon to then send to the customer. Um, but no, my model has been and always is predominantly FBA. Okay. Except for the certain instances where it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because um, when I first started, I started selling used books. I started with like 200 to $300 and I was just selling used books. And I used to do a lot of FBM, but even before I started doing Amazon, I was doing eBay and I moved to Amazon because I didn't like the whole listing and shipping and talking right. to customers and doing all that. So when I moved over to Amazon, I was doing books and I was doing like a lot of FBM. I was, I was doing 30, 40, 50, um, orders in like a day back to back yeah. to back. And I was like, I left eBay to not do this. So right. I kind of moved away <laughs> from doing books just so I can do like just for Amazon FBA. So when you were doing, so for the first thing, when you did the FBM, did you like that process or did you say, no, I need to hurry up and get over to doing FBA? Yeah. So no, I, I've never been into FBM. I still don't like FBM except for again, a few instances that it would make sense. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I mean, to have to individually pack one by one by one, it's time consuming. It's tedious. It's it's just like the ju the, the the juice, juice isn't, isn't worth the squeeze. The squeeze. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So again, though, once you do this more and more, there are certain situations, you know, like seasonal items or mm -hmm. items that are uh, you know out of stock, and you want to get them to the customer really quickly before competition can get it in stock stuff like that, where, you know, your margins do make it worth the squeeze, but day to day, to day big picture, I have no interest in storing the products in my house and shipping them off one storing by one. Storing is also a problem. I wish you could see over here. Cause I still have like a thousand books that I need to go take to the goodwill. <laughs> I just, cause I just deleted all my FBM listings. It was like, it was like, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. Okay. So how long did you do retail arbitrage solely? Yeah, I would I would say retail was like solely for gosh, almost the first 18 months. Now there there was some things that like it was very obvious to me that I could buy a lot more of this product at online. this price right now from this retailer online. I'm going to do it. But it was never going online to search blindly. Mm -hmm. It was literally just a byproduct of needing to buy more from retail arbitrage, right? Right. So I did that for a year and a half and a couple of things shifted why I switched to OA. Mainly, 
I live in Asheville, North Carolina now. Okay. We moved here six months ago. I never wanted to be dependent on a geography. Again, South Florida is great for retail arbitrage. It's so populated. There's so many stores. There's a chain called Publix grocery stores. No, it, yeah. I would go to 50 of them in a week sometimes. I'm not exaggerating. And and crush it. And um, for their buy one, get one freeze and their clearance sections. But anyway, so I said after when I moved here, I don't want to be tied to a geography. And then also just other things like I want to mentally be able to do this from anywhere in the world. Going back to FBM, like that's why another reason I don't have interest in that and the scalability factor. But I'm really, really glad I started with retail arbitrage. I learned the ropes on it. You can, to anybody listening that's new, you see online arbitrage and it's sexy to see these, these numbers and these bars and these sales. I was making the same amount with like a fraction of my sales because the return on investment is so much greater because with retail arbitrage, you're not competing with the world for the same products. A lot of these are store specific clearance items. A lot of them are regional specific clearance items. And so, yeah, it's not scalable, but it's such a great way to start. And if I was talking to any of my friends, I would say, Start with retail arbitrage, put your pride aside. If you think you're like above going store to store, if you want to do this, learn the ins and outs of Keepa, get your reps in, learn some stores and brands, and then transition to online arbitrage. It's not that you can't, but like so many people's reasoning is for not having enough money. Retail arbitrage, you could start with like nothing and like make triple the amount. You know, people in online arbitrage strive for 30% ROI. When I was doing retail, I strive for a hundred percent ROI and I was, I was like stern on that, you know? So just to give some context out there, I don't think people give retail arbitrage it's due because it's not as sexy. It's not as high of sales. It's really, really strong. Like I'm really into retail arbitrage. I can tell. Yeah. I mean, I just think, I think a lot of people don't start because of money is an excuse or like, you know, whatever the reason Maybe. And I also, I also, am, I'm kind of passionate about like, when you share your Amazon sales, I think it's great to give credibility. It's great to show your progress, but it again, it doesn't paint the picture. It's yeah. not even close to the whole picture. And yeah. so like, you can make the same amount of profit that, that someone doing a hundred thousand a month is doing. And I'm not exaggerating by you doing 30,000 a month in sales, doing retail arbitrage. So if you're new and you want to start Obviously, I'm passionate about it. you. Just start with retail arbitrage. I agree with you 100 because now I do retail arbitrage and I do online arbitrage. But I know when I was seeing certain people post their sales and they're like, "I did thirty thousand this month. I did forty thousand this month." I'm like, "Yeah, that's nice, but I'm an actual Amazon seller, so I want to know what is your ROI, like how much profit are you making?" And I know with online arbitrage, like people are happy to get thirty, and they'll even go down to twenty, fifteen per. So if you're only making 15% on that 30,000, but I'm making like a hundred percent on my 12,000 profit, like I'm making more money than you anyway. So hundred percent. So like people just need to understand that those, that the orange bars don't tell the full, like the full story. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So I will say with online arbitrage, um, I, I have a hard rule of pretty much 30% ROI. I've been hovering. Um, I would say, I would say around 15% now. Okay. And, and that's after everything, all of my expenses, all everything pre-tax. Right. Right. And I would even say it's higher. If you take into consideration, one of the huge perks of online arbitrage is the cashback stuff is crazy. 
uh, Rakuten cashback credit cards. You know, if I'm spending 40K a month, 30K a month, it's not crazy to get 5% cash back on that stuff and that's tax-free. Um, and that's a nice little chunk of 1,500, two grand, 2,500 a month. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's substantial. It is. Um, but, but yeah, when I was doing retail, I was driving for a hundred ROI. And I think my first full calendar year, which was last year, I made a video on this. I think I averaged, I think I was above 25% ROI, you yeah. know? Nice. So, so it's, it's just a different game. And I will say, I'm not here to, everyone does have personal preferences too, right? It's not just money. Some people are like, I don't want to go to a store. I have kids or yeah, whatever exactly. it is, you know, it's more than just return on investment. There's no one way to do this. But if you're looking to do it on a budget, just know RA is the move, you know? Okay. Speaking of retail arbitrage, I want to ask you at your height of doing retail arbitrage, because you said that you that like no exaggeration, you can go to 50 publics in like yeah. one week. At your height of doing retail arbitrage, what did a week look like to you? How many days did you go sourcing? How many stores did you go sourcing? How long did you spend in the store sourcing? Like, how was that? Yeah, that's a good question. I will say that like, even to this day, I'm still tinkering with my schedule all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think during that time, I was probably, you know, when you put in sourcing, prepping with retail arbitrage is time consuming, especially with stickers and stuff. I was, I was probably putting in close to full-time hours when it's all said and done for uh, like, you know, but there was also times I was putting in 20 hours and, you know, like using, using Publix as an example, there would be weeks when the buy one, get one free on certain coffees, which I did really well with would, would warrant it. Right. And then there was other weeks it wouldn't. And so, so I would have to kind of figure out other stores or other game plans or other things I can work on. Right. So no, no two weeks were ever the same, really. Mm -hmm. I think at the height though, I was probably, I was probably 34 at 40 hours with it, but at the same time, there was weeks that, you know, you, you pick and choose, which is kind of nice too, but average, average, I would probably say I was around, I don't know, 20 to 30. If I had, if I had to guess, which I am guessing. Okay. And if you had to guess even further, how much of that was sourcing compared to prepping? Gosh. Um, Prepping's time consuming. <laughs> it is right. I'm I'm doing it now. Like I'm doing my biggest shipment now from just doing online arbitrage, and I've been doing it since like five this morning, and it's three p.m. now. Yeah. No. It's uh. I would I would say um. I would say. Maybe like maybe like a, a one and a half to one ratio of sourcing versus packing. Like like packing was time consuming. I I probably was putting in. 10, 14 hours a week packing, if I had to guess, which, which, you know, I think it's good to learn the systems and pay your dues, but I am getting away from that now. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But, but I also think it was very valuable at the time. And, and to be honest, it's one thing, I, I think there's a, a big, a big thing about packing. It's one thing if you have more capital and you have free time that you're, it, let me, let me step back a second. Everyone talks about prepping is a low value task, low value task. I get that. Like I, I truly do. If you have more capital and or better use for that time. But if you're just going to watch Netflix, even if you're only paying someone 15 an hour, 10 an hour, whatever it is, you could be paying yourself that. And if you're out of capital to spend anyway, well, now you're just kind of paying yourself that. Also, when I was doing that, I was watching YouTube videos on 
Amazon or bettering my life in some way. So it's not like I'm just sitting here and not being productive at all. So, so I do think it's not as horrible as it gets painted to be sometimes, but, but there'll be a very, and everyone's got different situations, but to me, there's like a very clear cut. Now I have more capital to spend and I have other things I would rather spend my time on. And I live in a tax state. So if I can prep it in a non-tax state, it's a no brainer, you know, but with retail arbitrage, it's hard to use a prep center. You're not going to drive it to a facility (laughs) hours away from you. Right. So it's just part of the game. That brings, well, that makes me think of this thing like this. Well, not a Sam, but this theory that I have, it's called the, I haven't named it yet, but I'm going to call it like the time versus money problem. And it's like a lot of times when people start doing Amazon, because I'm going to use Amazon, for example, when people first start doing Amazon, Amazon, they have a lot of time, but not a lot of money. So you can go to the stores and do everything. You can do all the prepping. You can do all like everything because what, because like you just said, what else are you going to do? Watch Netflix? No. But then it comes to a point, if you do it correctly, you end up having more money than you have time. And then that's when you should start looking at how can I um, automate some of these things or how can I hire people to streamline these things? But you got to get to that point first. So it's no point of paying out money that you can just save yourself at first. 100%. I mean, I mean, you know, people always like to use the term work smart, which I completely agree with. But at the same time, everybody that works smart, first had to work hard, right? There's always that initial burst, you don't just go from zero to working smart like that very, very, very few instances of that you got to put in some reps. Yeah, I heard some guy say I don't know who it was, but he was like, don't worry about working smart because if you were able to work smart, then you wouldn't be at this point now. So just work hard <laughs> so you can work smart. Yeah, I like um, that. That's facts. I started with books. I um I said that already. So I never used Keeper at first because I would just use the Amazon mm-hmm. seller app or I would use Scoutly. I didn't really need any yeah. Keeper because I was only selling books that I bought for like 50 cents. So it wasn't like high, like high price books. Yeah, but then yeah. once I went into doing retail arbitrage, I took that mindset over and I still didn't use Keeper. So yeah. it was like six months into me doing retail arbitrage that I really learned about Keeper and was like, maybe I should check this out. And the difference in like the products that I was getting and the volume that I was getting and the sales I was getting, it's like so crazy that now I agree with you. I will recommend if you, when you first start out, get Keeper. That's all you really need to start out. Like you can do inventory labs if you have the money, but you don't even really need that when you first start out. But Keeper is a must. And why do you think, or I don't know if you even notice this, but a lot of people shy away from Keeper. Why do you think it intimidates people? Is it because it all like it's too much information? I, I think I think that might be it. I, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? Yes. And so I've been doing this for like two and a half years now. And every day I do this, I am more and more a fan of Keeper because there's all these, you know, I know you had him on the podcast, Dave, uh, OA deals. Yes. Every day he shares a new nugget about Keeper. He's like the Keeper, like, I don't know, like I learned something from him. Yes. No, this is genius. And I'm like, I'm like, when you, when you start to be able to really utilize, yes, Keeper is great for um, determining if something is going to sell or not, what the price is. I do think it's intimidating. I remember when you're looking at this, you're like, (laughs) <laughs> you just see these charts, right? Mm-hmm. But if people can just understand that, once again, I like to remind people: there's, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, millions of Amazon sellers. They're all basically using this. They're not better, smarter, whatever. You know, like, like it just takes reps, like anything. And I think people, I think people, unfortunately, give themselves any opportunity to have an out, right? And it's like, oh, I don't want to put in the time, but like, I think it's intimidating. 
but it is so necessary. Like, like if I always tell people, I like to equate Amazon to stuff. Let's say I was a house flipper, right? I wouldn't just go buy a house in a, that looks in beat up conditions and say, Oh, I think this is going to sell for profit. I would say, what are homes selling for in this area that are fixed up, right? What square per square foot, you know, how many homes a year? What's the median price, right? What is, what are mortgage rates? I'm going to gather all of that information and then make a calculate. What are my, what are my rehab costs going to be? What are my holding costs? I'm going to calculate that and say, is there enough meat on the bone? If I sell it for this, what do I have to buy it for? Right. You don't just say, oh, I'm going to buy this house because I'm going to, I just feel it's going to sell for a profit, right? You would never do that. Same thing with Amazon. So Keepa answers all of the questions of basically if you should find something, buy something or not, but also it also helps you find things altogether. So like I'm straying from why people stare away from it. I'm just talking about so necessary. Yeah. I, I have a, I really have a theory that Amazon and Keepa have some type of like arrangement like for us to get Keepa for 20 bucks, 17, I don't even know what it translates to, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding. I would spend probably a thousand bucks a month, if not more. Like that's how much I think it's necessary, right? I think you're guessing at best if you're not using Keepa. I and have so, a theory. Oh, sorry. No, I was sorry. Gonna say, I don't, I had a theory and it kind of got proved last night. Like I'm like, I have, like, I have a Twitter account. I really don't tweet but I'll go on there and like read other Amazon seller things. And it was a Twitter thread about Keepa and people were saying that it's crazy how Keepa only charges you $20 a month, but people were saying, I'll pay 200, I'll pay 500, I'll pay, like you said, like a thousand yeah. for it. And like, I agree with it also, but Keepa, I do think they have something with Amazon and they also, all these other third-party programs that use Keepa, they're paying them like a hundred thousand dollars a year just to have, use their, um, API. So like they're making really? their money like that also because seller amp, the um, official uh, um, Twitter commented and said, Hey, we're paying keeper over a, we're paying keeper over a hundred thousand dollars a year just to be able to use their charts in like wow. our programs. So wow. like, I think they're making their money that way. That's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. But also think about this too. Like Amazon, in my, in my opinion, would want to provide Keepa with this as much information as possible because now you're making third-party sellers like us who make up like two-thirds of the products on Amazon more competent yeah. and finding more profitable and good items. So the more information that we have as sellers, the better selling – The we're basically doing the legwork for Amazon. Yeah, right? we Listen, just lift up Amazon. Right. Like it, it only benefits Amazon by having sellers being more knowledgeable on what products to buy, right? Yeah. And, and and if everyone that's been doing this for a while swears by Keepa and says that that they would pay X amount for it, you know, like I I, I see it firsthand. It makes sense, and I'm not hating on it. I'm I'm happy to pay twenty bucks, but yeah. that I, I guess it just drives home the point on how valuable I truly think it is, and even to the point that I think Amazon has deals with them because it benefits everybody. Yeah, I I can see that also. Um, I have a question about Keepa compared to retail arbitrage and online arbitrage. So my first part of the question is when you're looking at a new product through online arbitrage, like an estimate of how long does it take for you to go through all your checks and balances using Keepa to decide if you're going to buy that item or not? You know, for a normal, let's call it a normal item. Yeah. It's become so second nature, probably a matter of 10 to 15 seconds, right? Okay. If it's, if it's more nuanced, um, you know, maybe in and out of stock, maybe uh, no sales rank, 
Um, maybe there's variations. Yeah. You know, that takes a little bit more time. But at any given time, um, like if I had to on the fly pretty quickly, like really quickly day to day, you know, overall, though, like like when you start getting into variations and stuff, that could be time consuming. But I actually love that because that's creating a barrier to entry because a lot of people, people aren't willing do to that. put in that time exactly. or they don't understand it. So actually, I love variations and I love no sales rank and I love out of stock items, all that I can see on Keepa. And that's when I dive in deeper because there's more than just the obvious stats that you need to be able to, to break down. So there, there's a couple of context clues right off the bat. You're looking to see the number of reviews. Um, I'm not so concerned with the rating per se, like for anybody not familiar, rating would be like if you went on Yelp to look at a restaurant one through five, I'm looking at the number of reviews, okay? And, and so that is an indicator based on something selling. Okay, so that's something that visually, even though I'm explaining it, it takes longer to explain. It takes a, a split second, right? So you want to see but, it going up. So, so two two things at the top of Keepa, there's an actual number a lot of times, or okay. when you scan a product, there should be, um, and I could be mistaken because I'm going top of mind. I think a lot of times in a Keepa chart, it'll show you the number of reviews or the number of ratings. Um, then also, um, you know, when you scan something right away, you see the sales rank. So that's a context clue. Uh, then what I'm looking at is the top chart, the sales rank, the green line, just visually, just visually. I'm looking at, at this point, I've done so many. Is this a good selling product, mediocre or atypical or whatever it is? Okay, checks off. I'll continue diving deeper. You know, I'm looking at uh, the buy box line. What does it typically sell for recently? Uh, if I need to, I'll span back a year. Uh, to get, you know, more information. At the bottom, I like to really look at the number of sellers. Supply and demand. When you're buying something where the amount of sellers continues to increase, when you're buying it, the price right. is going to decrease, right? On the contra on the flip side, when you're buying when it's in and out of stock, or, and by that, I mean, sellers come and go. There's gaps when there's no sellers, meaning mm -hmm. it's out of stock, or you're buying it on the decrease. That means you can probably charge a premium if you get your hands on it or you're buying at a good time. And then also in that bottom chart, I like to see the review count steadily increasing. Mm -hmm. And that lets me know that people are consistently buying this product and consistently, you know, uh, no, just consistently buying the product, which means that it's selling. Do you compete against Amazon? Sometimes. So, so here's kind of my take. General rule of thumb for a newbie especially, but we're not talking newbie here, but just, I would say a general rule of thumb is if you don't know what you're doing, no need to compete <laughs> with Amazon, right? Um, but the times I do sell against Amazon are A, when I can get something at a price that it makes sense for me to sell it at a price that's even lower than what they're selling it for, yes. okay? Amazon has tremendous buying power. 99% of the time, they're going to be able to beat you on price, right? So you have to be able to sell it at a price like that. Another is when Amazon is in and out of stock, okay? Because I know that if they're consistently in and out of stock based on Keepa, spanning out three months, a year, whatever, I know that when that window hits, if it's a high demand item, I can sit back, charge a premium when Amazon's out of stock, and then Amazon will get it again when the price decreases. And then lastly, I make sure that they actually share the buy box. Right. And you can do this in Keepa as well. Like if they're not gonna share it, 
there, there's almost no point unless you can undercut them, like I said, so, so, so much that it makes sense, whether that's by 10%, a couple bucks. I don't know the exact formula or if anybody does, but that's kind of my general take. However, like a lot of things, when most people aren't willing to do stuff, a lot of people don't sell against Amazon at all. It could leave the opportunity there for some really good products if you know how to dissect Keeper properly. I have a question, a selfish question, but I'm sure it can help other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a product that I bought. I mm -hmm. bought it and I was selling it for a while and I was selling it really, really good. The Amazon came on the listing and they kill any type of profit that I could poss possibly have. But okay. I know Amazon is in and out of stock of this. So when you're doing that, what do you do with your products while Amazon is in stock? Because what I did was I just left it at the price that I have, but I got a, um, what, what is it called? A fair high, high pricing air. Yes. And now, and now it's in my stranded and then I just refresh my stranded every, every couple of weeks. So like, what do you do to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that's a super unique situation. Like my first thing was going to say, just, um, just keep it in stock, you know, at your price. And, right. and when Amazon's out, it'll likely hit or whatever it is. Given that situation. Yeah. You don't want it in stranded. And I could see where that's a problem. I mean, if you have any idea of how long Amazon typically has a run for, like mm -hmm. sometimes it's kind of clear, like Amazon has it in stock for a month, then they go out. I could say, create a removal order, have it sit at your house. Yeah. yeah. To be honest with you, I'm probably not the best person for this just because for me, my mentality is like the more and more products you have, the least valuable each one is to you. So mm -hmm. like if I only have 10 products in stock at Amazon, each of those products mean a lot to me. When I have a thousand, each of those products is minuscule to me. So even the mental space or the time to have to do what you're doing every day, and I'm not saying you should do this because I don't know where you're at, you know, in products. A lot of times, if I can't just keep it at the price I want, I'd probably just drop it, offload it and move on. That's how much I just like to like keep it churning, yeah. you know, but if someone is new and doesn't have that many SKUs, what you're doing is an option or, you know, keep tinkering by a dollar until it doesn't get red flagged. Yeah. And, and you can set up actually notifications when Amazon's out of stock too, if you really want to and keep a, but anyway, and then you can drive up the price uh, or your repriser will do that on your behalf. Yeah. See, it's not, well, I bought like a hundred of, of these mm. and I sold 60 of them and already made my money back. So it's not something that like I stay up all night thinking about. It's more of an experiment so that I know later on yeah. how to move with, with it. So pretty much what I did is like what I said, I just put it into stranded and then just um, refresh it every 30 days. I I'm think it is. And then yeah. I set a price alert on um, Keepa that if, that if it goes, cause if Amazon sells out, the price is going to go up. Cause I'm, cause I'm not the only one that's in this situation. So once the price goes up, I know that Amazon's out of stock and then I can reprice it to where I think it should be at. But I, I was just wondering if there's any other. Yeah. And then I, I would, I would also take a step further. Something I thought about recently. So this is my third Q4. You know, it's funny, like on one end, I feel like people that have dead or stale inventory should get their money back so they can use it on profitable stuff for Q4. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're kind of so close to it now. If you're willing to just ride it out because sales velocity goes up so much, ah. if it, Amazon will probably go out in a quicker fashion. So it should, it, this should end in the next month or two. You yeah, know hopefully. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes perfect, perfect sense. Um, so you were doing retail arbitrage. What made you go to online arbitrage? 
Yeah. So, so a couple of things. So one, I mentioned, I moved States, right? Yeah. So I didn't want to be dependent. You know, if you think about it, when you're doing retail arbitrage, especially in an area, you become very dependent to that area or where you're willing to drive, et cetera, but day to day your area. And so I, I personally wanted to transition to never being dependent on a geography to run my business. And even my tour business, I mentioned moving forward, I never want to be tied down to an area. It's not because I'm necessarily a digital nomad, but mentally, I really, really like that freedom. If I want to be, I can be, right? And so anyway, so the first thing was moving, knowing that that whether it's here or anywhere else I move again, I never want to have to be stuck just because of my retail arbitrage business. So that's one. Two is scalability, right? With retail arbitrage, especially as a one-man show, I can only get to so many stores in a given day. And stores are limited to store hours, of course, right? Online arbitrage, I can buy things 24-7, 365 from anywhere in the world, okay? There's, there's no limit. Yes, I might be limited to how much I can physically buy in a 24-hour span, but then there's virtual assistants and stuff, not that I have them, but basically in a nutshell, scalability, mm -hmm. right? And so that's really the one-two punch. I just didn't want to be tied down to, I didn't want to be dependent on stores or an area, and I wanted to scale this. And that was really like, that's really it. This may be like Sophie's choice considering how much you like retail arbitrage and how much you like online arbitrage and your reasons for both. But if you have to choose one, which one do you like more? Yeah. So I, I guess, I guess, let me step back for one sec. I like retail arbitrage for the margins. And I think <laughs> for, for beginners, right. Okay. I don't like going store to store, driving <laughs> okay. around, not knowing exactly what I'm looking for sometimes. I think it's a great way to start. Mm -hmm. And also, I think it's a great way that if you are coming up to your monthly spending budget and you have like 10 days left, you know, instead of spending it on retail, maybe go or on online, maybe go do some retail. Like, I don't think it has to be all or nothing, by the way. I still do some retail when it makes sense, you know, but I personally prefer at this stage of my life online you know, for all the reasons that the convenience, you know, the hours, all that stuff type of thing. So, nice. so, um, so I would say this, yeah. not one size fits all. If you have a limited budget, some people like going to the stores, like for that hunt. some people are, yeah. Some people are not into to sourcing online. It gets boring. Okay. Being on a computer a lot. I enjoy it. I like going to like different coffee shops and I try to mix it up and stuff. So oh, that's a good idea. Cause I, cause like, I'm starting to, sorry to cut you off, but I no. pretty much like this little setup that you see, that's like where everything happens. And then I get kind of bored, like after like yeah. a, a couple hours, but, but like taking some headphones and going to the coffee shop, that's a great idea. So I, I literally every single day, I pretty much go to a different coffee shop in my area and I knock out like three hours of sourcing. I've dabbled with a lot of different things. I really have come to accept and believe that like we're only capable of so much deep work every day. So if I give myself three hours and only three hours, I'm going to really, I'm a morning person, by the way. So like I am locked in from like a eight to 11 at a coffee shop. Then I can handle my administrative, my other business, YouTube, you know, editing, stuff like that. But like, to me, sourcing is my priority. It's the most high value task for me at this stage in my life. I want to give it three uninterrupted uh, uh, hours. And not only that, I think the change of scenery every single day and getting out, I get, I, I need to get out, by the way. Like I have to get out of the house. You're like a Husky. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm an extrovert, man. Like I, <laughs> I like people. Mm -hmm. I like being out and about. And, and so to me, um, and I'm a coffee addict. So like perfect, perfect formula. So that's what I do. Uh, basically Monday through Fridays, check out new coffee spots or different ones and put in a couple hours. I really like that idea. I'm going to start doing that because like I said, I get kind of not claustrophobic, but what's the word that I, I, I can't, there is an actual a term for it, but I can't think of what it is now, but going out to different coffee shops and, and like, that's a good idea. Um, you said about deep work that you only think that there's a certain amount of deep work that a person could do in a day. And I agree with you. 100 percent because as of like the past couple of years i've been really getting into like planning my days out scheduling planning things out and i notice like i'm a, like i'm a i'm a i'm a morning person also i wake up at five and five yeah. in the morning and by and by six i'm ready to go but from about six to ten i've looked back at it that's why i do my best work at and then after 10 it kind of wings off because i also have add so it's kind of hard for me to focus yeah. on together so after like 10 i kind of get spread out so i noticed that i put my most important things which is sourcing or um writing my youtube scripts i put that in the morning and then after i put things that i don't have to really like focus on so hard like prepping i don't have to be there mentally right. to like be able to prep so i agree with that yeah no i i've i've dabbled with a lot of different schedules and like i always like i've gotten onto the 5 a.m kick as well and, and by the way, I say this to say, like, I am a morning person. I'm not saying everyone should do this. Like, I'm just saying this, this works for me. Waking up early is hard. And so doing that right off the bat, it's like, it's what a way to start your day by proving to yourself, like being proud of yourself for one, doing something hard right away. I personally go to the gym. I do that. I like to sit They have like a sauna there or a steam room get all my thoughts ready. But like you said, my to-do list is made out the night before and I'm prioritizing what, what's the, if I only get three things done, basically, what are they? Right. And those go on in the morning. Sourcing is always on there. I, especially this time of year, I can't imagine something providing more return on my investment than sourcing right now. And so, yeah. And then, and then, um, you know, like I said, I'm doing that and then administrative stuff, YouTube videos, editing, packing, prepping, that stuff is great when you're tired in the end of the day, you know, as humans, unless something is so unrealistic, think about it. If you give me three hours, four hours, five hours, I'll get it done in whatever it is. Right. And that's why I kind of think the old school mentality of like corporate jobs where you're in a cubicle for eight hours a day should be based on what you get done, not how long it takes you to get them done. I guarantee you, I guarantee you people are wasting hours, you know, yeah, definitely. definitely. But when you're your own boss, that stuff, you're not pulling it on anyone. You're not getting paid for those wasted hours. So you really try to maximize them. And it's just unrealistic that you're going to be on your A game eight hours a day. Like just as human beings, you only have so much mental capacity, you know? And I'm not, it doesn't take a doctor to realize that. I really like the way this conversation is going. So I want to um, say what I, the way I plan my life out, I go by, we're not going to go by like months, but like, let's go by week by week. What I do is Sunday, I sit down, and a lot of this is already planned out because it's the same things over and over and over. But I sit down on Sunday and I say, what do I need to get done this week? And it's only like five major things. Yeah. And, and, and then I'll say out of those five major things each day, I'll say, I'll break it down to say, like, what can I do out of these five major things? What can I do today? What can I do tomorrow? What can I do Wednesday? Blah, 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 blah. So how do you go about planning your time? Like, because you seem like you're very big on not wasting time and like planning it. So how do you do it? Yeah, it's, it's funny because on one end, I, I am 
you know, and, and I would, I would say I've just continued to tinker with things that work for me. And I think that's first, the first message you need to be true to yourself and understand who you are and try different things. Right. In this day and age, I can go through Alex Hormozzi or, or, you know, uh, all these other like, you know, famous, uh, successful people. Mm-hmm. What works for them doesn't mean it will or won't work for you. So I think just understanding who you are and, you know, and ta- trying things. So, so for me, um, the night before every night, um, I'm fresh sheet of paper to do list. And like you said, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put out a couple of priorities, but I take it a step further. Hmm. One thing that I found to be very successful is not just what to do, but when I'm going to do them. Ah, okay? yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm not like this super human optimization, human optimization. We need to maximize every single second of every single day. Like let's enjoy the human experience a little and have some spontaneity too. But so like, for instance, okay, I'll make my to-do list the night before and then I'll, I'll write out and I'll put, okay. So like five to seven is wake up gym, right? Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to get a coffee. I know I'm going to shower. Like you have to account for that stuff, right? I'm going to walk the dog, you know, spend stuff like that. Then I'm going to drive. Then I'm going to put eight to 11 sourcing, let's say. Then let's say, what's my number one administrative task? 11 to 12, I'm going to edit my recent YouTube video, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have lunch and like, and then, so anyway, I'm, I guess what I'm putting is like, no, I don't, I don't have a set thing every single week. I try to evaluate every night during the week. I also many times like to, I'm very like philosophical and stuff of just like, I'm always trying to forward think too. And like, what, what am I working towards and why am I doing this? Like, like my my purpose in life is not to just buy and sell things. Right. But it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's an, it's a means to an end, right? What am I looking to achieve with this? Am I doing things that are moving the needle? Why am I doing these? What things am I looking forward to this week? And if I don't have anything, I try to create things try to evaluate the previous week, you know, like what things did I do good? What things can I get better on? I don't have such a rigid process in place, but these are all things that I'm taking into account to the point that it's detrimental. My mind goes 24 seven. And like, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I wish I could shut it off sometimes, but I'm always, always just kind of thinking of what, what, uh, you know, trying to create like the, the ideal type of week. I, like, I like talking about this stuff way more than I even like talking about Amazon. And I like talking about Amazon a lot. But um, yeah. there's like four different things I want to say in everything that you said. The first thing is I do the exact same thing every morning. I don't do my schedule at night. I do it in the morning. But then at night, I check over to make sure that I did everything. But yeah. then in the morning, I'll have, I um I use Notion and um Google Calendar to track all my stuff. Like, I'm like a big chart and graph type yeah. person. Yeah. But um, every morning, I have what am I grateful for? And it could be as simple as having running water or waking up today or having a car or having a job that I like or getting two new subscribers yesterday. It does have to be something yeah. like really life-changing. Then I have, what am I looking forward to today? It can be to try out this new workout app that I got or to see if my new thumbnail is going to do better than the last thumbnail. It does have to be really big. And then it's also, what is something that I can, what is something that I, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's a not to-do list. There's three different things. There's three different things that I don't want to do. So if I'm like, 
like right now i'm really trying to get better at um, learning how to meditate so it would be don't miss meditation today or don't skip the gym today or don't buy or or um like I also i'm trying to budget my money like a lot better to live less because i realized that if i didn't spend as as much money i can do more things so it's yeah. like don't spend money today so like yeah. things like that and then i'll put my to-do list so that's like i really like that but what you said about how you plan your day and you schedule at seven to eight i'm going to do this or nine to ten i don't do that i'll write in my google calendar after i get done with something i'll say oh i'm done with this now i'll move to the next thing but i'm but i'm going to try your way because it seems like it would be more pro productive if it was up front instead of like an afterthought yes so that. i i do think on the time thing the biggest thing that is like the thing is this, if you if you do write down your time frame and you stick to it, then you kind of prove to yourself like, okay, I actually am going to honor my schedule, right? Mm -hmm. But if you just write it down and not do it, well, yeah. then you're like, well, then I'm writing it down. It's not serious. Because again, yes. when you're your own boss, no one you have no one to answer to, right? But yourself. So, so the thing that I really like about the blocking, I forgot the law, but again, it forces you to say, I only have two hours. I am going to really hunker down and give this my undivided attention. Where if it were as you, if you say, look how different it is saying I have two hours versus in the morning, right? Yeah. The morning is so vague. The morning I can get distracted with my phone. I can go on Facebook. I can do all these things and I'm still doing what I said I'm going to do, but I could also do that in two hours. And also like, you know what I mean? And, and by the way, I love talking about this stuff too. It's funny. <laughs> like Amazon is what, you know, I've created content around and continue to for a variety of reasons, happy to discuss why uh, on or off air. But anyway, um, I like talking life. I like talking yes. just like people connection. How do you do things to be better? Like, how do you have perspective on the world? Like, you know, I, I know at my core that, you know, everyone has a different relationship with money, right? But like, it's not it's not that we're, we're, um, necessarily changing lives in terms of like meaning fulfillment by selling on Amazon, you can find purpose and meaning in helping others and anything. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just one chapter of my life. And uh, it's something that I'm kind of tapped into for right now, because the day and age we live in, we need money, right? right. So, so that's what it is. Um, I just want to say that I if you're like, if you're listening to this, I hope you're listening to this. I have a theory about things like this where people are giving you advice on how they on how they do their life or how they do their schedule or the way they think you don't have to take everything somebody says i think of this like uh, think of it as like an informational buffet like when you go to the buffet you don't take the whole plate of chicken or you don't take the whole plate of beans like you take a little bit from each so maybe take his time blocking take my waking up early like just take what you need and yeah. make it fit to how you want it but yeah. i have a question Cause I want to go back to Amazon, even though I like this, like yeah, people yeah, are, probably, totally. are probably like, what the hell are y'all talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about cash flow. My biggest yes. question that I have for people, if I was a brand new seller, I'm at my job and I want to get into a different place in life. And I know I have to use money as a, as a tool to, to get my freedom. That's all money is, is a tool to get your freedom. So I want to do Amazon, but I may, maybe I have bad credit. Some, some things like that. So do I need credit to be able to scale an Amazon business? Yeah. So, so let me preface that cash flow is a very important topic to me. So I might, I might go on a tangent here in a second, no problem. but, but to answer your question directly, to be very frank with you, I haven't had bad credit. So I haven't, I can't speak to that directly. All right. I will say this. 
I've been bootstrapped for any business that I've started. Um, and I haven't come from a place of like, I've, I've, my family's fine. No, you know, well off. I'm not trying to portray a wrong picture, but like, I haven't just, you know, I've had to figure it out myself. Right. And, um, if you don't have any money, my first thing would be start scanning stuff at your house. Oh, wait, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. Let me, yeah. um, let me, rephrase it. like, yeah, this, this person has money. Maybe they have $500, uh, extra thousand okay. dollars that they can invest, but they can't get a credit card or they can't yeah. take out a, a loan to get like $5,000. So they have some money to start and some money to invest, but they right. just can't like get credit. Yeah. So, so I think, I think what I would do is like I said earlier, prove the concept, like prove that you're going to actually stick with it, prove that mm -hmm. you are interested in doing that. And you can do that for free once you or, or like a dollar a month, if you sign up for the Amazon um, seller account that uh, is free, it's only $1 per item, account. right? Yeah. So, so you can then scan stuff and say, okay, um, you know, get a taste for it, maybe prove to yourself, whatever you have, start with the bare essentials. And if you prove the concept, even on a micro scale, maybe now you go to family, friends, and say, hey, you know, I want to try this. Would you be an investor, a partner? Uh, will you give me a loan? You know, will you give me a thousand bucks or whatever it is? And, and I think I'm so passionate about like uh, 500 bucks a month could change people's worlds. 99% of people's worlds would be shifted. And that's where I think social media is good and bad, right? Because so many people are like, I just want to be there, which is a million dollars in years in sales, but 500 bucks a month, that'll change your world, you yeah. know, and, um, and stuff like that. So like, I would say, get a thousand bucks, get a thousand bucks, however you can, but first, whatever you have, like if someone came to me and they said, Hey, look, this I've had, I only have 500 bucks. I've done this, this, and this, I'm serious about this. I'd say, okay, you know, instead of just coming to me point blank or like, you know, without even trying, I think there's enough people that want to help other people succeed that you can get scrappy and you can find a thousand dollars if you really want to. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. And then with that thousand, let's say I found that thousand dollars. I got my, my uncle who just sold his, of his, his house and he gave me a thousand dollars. Could yeah. I take that thousand dollars and then become, be able to flip it into in time, of course, not like next week, but would I be able to get to a point where I can quit my regular job without having to take money out at, like from some other, from, from some I, other I, place? So this, this is a common question, right? Everyone wants to know, when can I quit my job? And, and here, here's, here's the harsh reality, right? Here we go. <laughs> if I were talking to anyone, myself included, there's no reason to quit your day job, right? Early on, especially you can work nights, you can work weekends, you can work on the job, right? Sourcing I did and stuff that. like, right. So, so, so first, I think, I think first thing first, people need to understand, are you just trying to escape a really, a job that you hate? Because if you're looking for that, this is not going to solve that, right? But if you're looking to just create another layer of financial um, independence, it could absolutely do that. But here's why, here's why it takes so long for somebody to quit their job, Okay. So let's say you have the thousand bucks and in, in two months, because of Amazon's lag time and everything else, you've turned it into 2000 and just, and then we're going to make this very round numbers. And then you turn it into four thousands, maybe over the course of a year, you've turned a thousand dollars into $8,000, which mm -hmm. isn't crazy. All right. Okay. 
So obviously that's not going to replace your job, right? Mm -hmm. But now what happens is you start to see it working and you realize there's more and more and more out there. So what do you do? You get credit cards, you get line of credit, you get all of these things to scale your business. But the thing that 99%, 99.9% of people I don't think fully understand, even successful Amazon sellers, anybody that is scaling on Amazon quickly is cash poor. I will die on that hill. I will absolutely die on that hill because what's happening is they may take money out to pay for their life, $3,000, $4,000. But if you go from $10,000 a month in sales to $30,000 a month the next month in sales to 50 to 70 to 100 in a six-month span, right? You are spending more than you're profiting. Now, your profit and loss statement is going to show profit. And is it real profit on the goods that sold? 100%. But what doesn't get talked about is a balance sheet. Balance sheet paints the whole picture. Profit and loss statement just paints your month to month. Mm -hmm. So as a real random or simple example, if I spend $100,000 on inventory in September, and in September on paper, I made $20,000 profit. Amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Social media, I just made $20,000 profit. My bank account doesn't reflect $20,000 profit. It reflects negative 80, 80. Yeah. right? Yeah. And, and by the way, I know this is a super watered down example, but I really want to drive the point home. If you want to replace your job, there's a couple of ways to do it. The simplest way is to set a budget, a small budget and scale very, very like slowly. Okay. You mean like a spending, like a spending budget? Yeah. Or a, like spend, a spending budget, a spending budget, right? Okay. So instead of going from 1,000 to 5,000 to 10,000, it's not that you're not actually profiting, but the cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about it, I buy something today. I just laid out a thousand bucks. It takes a week to get to me. It takes two weeks minimum to go live on Amazon. Holy not shit. everything sells the day it goes live. It takes another month to sell through all that. Then Amazon holds on to that, right? Two months from now till I see a return on these items, Right. But in that two month span, you're going to keep buying more and more and more. So like, again, just in a nutshell, for anybody that is scaling fast, they're cash poor, unless they're making money in another way. I, I'm, I'm willing to die on that hill. That okay? is a, that is a, um, what's the word that they use in media? Um, not hot topic, not hot, hot take. That yeah. was a hot take. Um, well, yeah, you can go real quick. I mean, I've reached out to other sellers to try to understand this. And I think I'm very strong with numbers. Like, oh, my dad's an accountant. Like I've always understood numbers. Right. And I see it firsthand. My first six months, I remember I did a hundred grand in six months at like 30% margin. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hmm, I don't have 30 grand more than I used to. Right. right. Because it's all constantly tied up in inventory, in inventory. and like this, the simplest tweak in your spend can offset your profit, you know, like your cash flow profit, I guess mm -hmm. I should say. So I'm not doing the best job describing it, but no, you are, trust me, okay. you are. I get it. One maybe, maybe because I know what you're talking about, but I think people that would listen to this podcast would know exactly what you're talking about. I, I think the biggest thing is this: like create a spending budget. If if you're somebody that wants to replace a job, you have to be cash flow positive. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even if you are being profitable, but it's constantly being reinvested into more and more inventory, let's say you're increasing your net worth, right? Your cash poor, your asset rich, 
you can't utilize asset rich to pay your bills, right? Nope. Or to invest in a rental property or anything else. And so for that, I say, if it's, you have to understand if you're looking to replace a job, you need to actually realize cash flow. At which point I would say you need to stay true to a spending budget and or percentage breakdown of like every payout, I'm putting 20% back into inventory. I'm paying myself 10%, 10% for taxes. You know what I mean? Whatever works for you. But just knowing, just know, if you scale and scale and scale and scale quickly, I promise you, you're going to be spending quicker than it's coming out, right? It doesn't mean you're not making profit, but you're not cash flowing positive. Okay, if we were going to continue, then we would be talking for like hours. So yeah. I want to get, <laughs> that was great. That was great. Thank I you. truly understand it. And I think the people who are listening will know exactly what you mean. But I want to ask you, this is something that I was interested in. I want to talk to you about YouTube. Why did you start making content about Amazon? And why did you choose YouTube? Yeah, so so a couple things. Um, first off, I was watching Amazon or I was, I, I was a fan of YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, again, not better or worse. I'm not into traditional TV. Like I love documentaries and I love educational stuff. Right. Yes. And so as I'm packing and prepping and like, I'm coming across Amazon sellers and some of them are sharing how much they're making on YouTube, just on AdSense. And I'm like, Oh, interesting. Like Amazon is like one of the highest paying things you could talk about. Right. All my money. Yeah. Also, frankly, I know myself, I'm very comfortable talking to people. I know I'm willing to put in the reps and I know that I know what I'm talking about. And I also know that I'm not one of these gurus trying to sell a false hope as I just clearly pointed out. Right. So like I'm transparent, I'm comfortable doing it. And I wanted to be able to monetize the fact that I'm willing to do this. I see it. YouTube is one of the few things that you talk about work smart or hard and then smart. Mm -hmm. If you put in quality content over the course of a while, your catalog is already existing. So yeah, I've put in almost a year now and I haven't seen a penny, but once I get my channel monetized, the work is done. And, and now I just continue to chip away and it's just this snowball, right? So for one, very selfishly, I wanted to create another form of income for myself, right? For two, I knew if people are going to consume information, I know I know what I'm doing. I have a proven track record. I feel like I can connect with people. I have as much expert, not expertise, but as much knowledge as 90% of the people out there doing this. And I know I come from a good place, right? right? Now, I didn't even really think about it, but with time, I really simply do the math and I'm going to be very transparent here. These people with 10, 20, 30, 50,000 subscribers, if, if they provide enough value, which is what YouTube is offering value, 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 and they need somebody for coaching or courses, I would like to think that they would consider me. And of course, you, you know, I've put in three years almost to Amazon. If I create that course, and even if it takes me a month, that's something that can now be a recurring sale without having to do any more work. So again, selfishly, uh, to create another income stream for myself, right? I'm doing it anyway. And so for me, that's the, that's the, the truth of it. It's, it's the opportunity to provide legitimate value. The market always wins. If I do a job providing value and people like my stuff and they're, gonna, they're going to buy stuff anyway, then maybe they'll think of me for courses, coaching down the road, whenever that day comes. Furthermore, even if they don't, if I provide enough value, I'm gonna make money on YouTube AdSense, okay? And the thing is, I'll cut... I love people that say, this is why I do this. This is why, and you know, sharing messages from their, their students. They love helping others. 
You love helping others so much, and this is why you do this. You would give it to them for free. You're doing this because it's nice to get paid for something and help others. Make no mistakes about it. It goes hand in hand, right? If you wanted to just do it for the goodness of your heart, you wouldn't charge anything. Not that I think you should, by the way, but let's just keep it real. No, 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 no. That's 100% true. And then I always say like, I like doing YouTube because I see, like, I'm a person, like, I don't, this may sound weird, but I don't live not like in the moment I live in the future. So I'm always seeing what it's going to be. So like when I first started doing YouTube, like it took me a year and a half to even get monetized and yeah. I still wasn't making any money. And like on AdSense, I'm still not making any real big money that's going to be like, wow, you're making so much. Well, the work that I put into YouTube and the money that I get from AdSense doesn't equal out if you were to say that. But I know in three years, four years, five years, when I prove that I'm consistent with it, then it's going to be a totally different thing. And I truly do enjoy giving people information that I, that I think it's the correct information because I know I'm coming from a place of just wanting to help somebody, but I would never say, oh, I'm doing it out of, out of the kindness of my heart. Right. I'm doing it because I'm a human and I need to eat, Right. but I also enjoy doing it this way. And if I had to make money some type of way, at least I can make money helping somebody else make money. If that so, makes sense. I totally agree with that. And, and I think I was kind of overemphasizing to drive home a point, but like, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know why we feel feel the need to for or people feel the need to like just completely ignore the fact that a lot of things we do is on it you know there's there's an underlying need to make money right mm -hmm. so like i put in a lot of time on youtube on and i'm sure you do too on an hourly rate it takes time a lot more time than you may imagine it is an investment right and a byproduct is i know that i'm going to i if i can help people and do it transparently and they're going to watch someone anyway why not be the one? And I do get enjoyment. And by the way, like when I help people in my day-to-day -day life, like just in my circle who are interested, obviously I'm not charging them. And I genuinely enjoy that, right? Mm -hmm. But you put in so much time to YouTube. I'm not just doing it for the kindness factor. And, and by the way, props to you, like that vision, I completely agree with. I think YouTube's going to even, it's going to get bigger and oh, bigger yeah. and bigger, right? Yeah. And, and if you I think a lot, I did a stat, I think less than like 8% of, of channels get monetized. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee it's because they don't have the consistency to stay with it. Mm -hmm. So like you chip away two solid videos a week, put in time to plan, edit all that stuff. No doubt in my mind, two, three years down the road, I'm going to be really glad I did that. I don't know exactly why or what that'll look like. But if you do anything consistently and provide value for an extended period of time, good things are going to happen. Right. Exactly. And like, it's even crossed my mind for my tour business. Like I'm like, YouTube is a, such a huge differentiator for my personal life. There's so many messages. We were talking about life and stuff that I want to get out to the world. Right. You want to talk to about me, that too. Yeah. Like YouTube to me, it's the no brainer. Like that is it. And especially not only does it take time and, and, and effort to really like, you know, put in the work, but like, I mean, if you're comfortable with video, that's the best form of content, in my opinion. By the way, I'm sure there's statistics behind this, but like, as far as I think you just have a competitive advantage if you're comfortable and or willing to learn to do video, uh, you know, YouTube is, is the second largest search engine in the world from what I gather. Okay. Think about shorts and think about reels and like, who knows what it's going to look like in a while, but vlogs used to be a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And but if you're just the same way I was saying, 
there's products on Amazon that if you if you're willing to do things that other people aren't or know how to do things that other people aren't, you get a competitive advantage. I think video is one of those, right? So like there's so many people that know how to sell on Amazon, right? You're obviously very comfortable and willing to put in the time to put out quality production, right? You're also you have a competitive advantage that you're willing to have delayed gratification like yes. myself, right? Yeah because you're, you're forwarding to the future and you're banking on that, right? You know, it's not going to happen today. A lot of people want that now, now, now. And so the combination of all of those is really why I believe in YouTube and specifically video as a whole. And just like I said, with Amazon, you have to be willing to take action. No one starts off as a great YouTuber, you know, but if you believe in it, you're willing to figure it out. Right. And, and so um, that's kind of been my journey with it. And uh, I'm enjoying it. I really do. I really do enjoy it. And I think I'm going to look back and it's going to make a lot of sense to me, whether it be financially one day, um, providing value to others one day, getting me started in other personal type of endeavors or other things that I want to put on YouTube. So I always say like, the dots only connect when you look back, right? You can right. never connect the dots looking forward. And so I like, like it, it just makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I just hit my two years on um, YouTube in September, and yeah. I honestly can't think of one negative or like one downfall of doing this, because even if I never got paid for it, there's been I could think of three different situations that with just with just with my Amazon business that I thought it was over with, because I didn't because because just like you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. for one, I was selling used books, then the pandemic happened, and then the lockdown happened all the thrift stores were closed. Mm. I thought, well, I was like, all right, well, Amazon's done. Let me go move to the next thing. But because I had my YouTube channel, I had other people and somebody was, um, cause I like, I met people through my YouTube cause they are writing me and say, I saw your videos. And then just like us talking, like I found out that we have more in common than just Amazon. So we kept in touch, but I told somebody about this and then they was like, well, why don't know? I said, the stores are closed, so I guess I'm not going to do Amazon anymore. And then she said to me, well, you know what store is never closed? And I said, what? And then she said, the grocery store. So why don't you just sell mm. groceries? I would have never thought about that because I didn't even know about being un ungated and like all that type of stuff. So yeah. back to, to bring it back to what I was saying, even if I didn't get paid for it, which I like getting paid for it and I want to get paid right. more for it. But even if I didn't, I've got so much value out of um, just giving that I got value back from it so that was worth it just from from that and i also honestly like before I, I i did this youtube channel a few years before i had a youtube channel before so i kind of had some history with it so i kind of yeah. knew what what i was doing but i but like i like making the videos i might not like doing it in that moment but right. i like the overall process of it yeah i mean it shows like your your stuff you can tell is very like well done, you know, like, Thank you. you know, you can tell when people outsource to a VA to chop it up and stuff, <laughs> which, which by the way, not knocking that at all. Like, I tried you know, it. It doesn't work for me because I'm too much of a control freak with it. Yeah, no, but I mean, it shows. And, and, and it, like you said, it's a long-term play and it'll definitely continue to pay off for you and already has. So, yeah. Thank you. I have a question for you. Um, being that you have a family, you have Amazon, you have your other, you have your other business. How do you manage to what is okay? How do I put this? What is your content creation process and how do you schedule all that in? Also, still figuring that out, right? Um, I will say this I try to put out two videos a week. Um, I've I've dabbled with like trying to challenge myself for more. And to be honest, I just think I underestimate how long even the simplest concept <laughs> video, yeah, you know, 
takes. And like, so like from planning. So, well, anyway, to answer your question, I try to put out two a week. Um, you know, I talk about earlier, like administrative stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I give myself some time to plan videos. I have found when I put in the time to plan and kind of put together a script and an idea, the videos are not only better, they take way less than just kind of, even though I have the concept going into the camera. So I'd rather have that, that time up front than having to take 20 takes. Right. So, so one thing I do give myself time to plan and script, I have an ongoing list, right? I have it in my phone. I have it on pen and paper. You never know when a good idea is going to come, mm-hmm. you know? And, and now that I've done this, I think I'm close to like a hundred videos. I've done this for like 11 months, I think. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying That's to, solid. That's very, yeah, very, thank very, you. Very solid. So I'm trying, I'm trying to do things that it's a combination, to be honest. You want to do things that, you know, people need to hear. You want to do things that you want to do for yourself. Like I love talking mindset, right? And that ties over to Amazon, but is it going to blow up? You know, I don't probably not. And then there, and then there's other things you want to hit the algorithm, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to honestly find a balance and I just know going back to the long-term play, if you have the long-term mindset, you have time for all of this. If you're looking for the short-term play, which is going to probably burn out, you're only going algorithm. And again, talking about me trying to create a relationship with my audience and authenticity, like I always, like, I always make a point to share my monthly numbers and be an open book about them. Right. Mm -hmm. I want people to know what's realistic, how much time goes into that and stuff like that. You know, I'm also trying to understand like for beginners that come across it, they may, they may need to know what like simple key terms are, but if someone's much more advanced, that wouldn't be for them. So like, ultimately I just have to put out what I, um, I don't have a, a set thing as far as like Monday is how to Thursday is going to be like a, a mindset thing, you know, but like, I try to take all that into consideration and it's just an ongoing thing. And I'm still, I'm still tweaking with it all the time. Film it. I typically, I, I like to edit it very soon after, because I find that you lose your thought on things, right. Even if it's a first rough edit, um, and then thumbnail and try to get it posted. I try to do Thursdays and Saturdays just because I've heard that. I actually heard Mr. B say something that those are the two best days. And it kind of makes sense. I would imagine gaining traction on Thursday going into the weekend. And naturally, most people watch on Saturdays. I listen to not just Mr. Beast. Like, I'm not like a huge Mr. Beast fan, but I respect what, what yeah. like he's done. Right. And I listen to anybody that has that much... Um, Exactly. That much traction behind them and that much proof. Like I would definitely, so I watch a couple of podcasts, well, more, more than a couple of podcasts. So I take a lot of information for, for him, but you've only done it for 11 months that you said, and you are like, I'm not a professional at all. So I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm better or, or anything, but like, but like I said, before we started, I interview a lot of Amazon sellers and some of these Amazon sellers have a YouTube, but it's never like, it's like an afterthought. It's like, yeah. Oh, I'll upload a video here or I'll upload a video there. You are very consistent with it. And that's something that I noticed. So you are going to be on the right way. Um, one thing that I noticed is that after I got monetized, my level kind of increased because now I have, because like now I had that. Yeah. Okay. Now, not that I'm better than any, anybody else, but now I'm in this, to, to, in, to this group yeah. of people who usually don't get there. So now I start to do like, I script my videos out also. Um, but I do batching. Do you do batching when you do your videos? Do you do them all at once or it's separate? Yo, it's, it's funny you say that because if I were to tilt the camera, I still have a lot of stuff I'm packing in here. And like, I don't have the proper setup 
what I would really like to do is create a more, a better space for myself and cameras always set up, you know, wherever I want it, go in, knock out four videos, then another, you know, over the course of the next week, edit all four, right? Mm -hmm. Long story short, I would love to batch. Uh, I've, I've still playing around. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, I don't have a set thing, but I do believe batching is the move. Like that's the goal. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. Like you don't have to do all, all is at once, but coming from somebody who like my first year, I was, I would like, I, like, I already knew about YouTube. So I got my lights and I got my tripod and like all that, but I would just throw it over into the corner and then reset up. But as you see, I have my little set and like all that. And it's much easier when you could just sit down, cut on the lights, cut on the camera, and then just, just go and batching. I don't do the only batching that I really do is these interviews. Like from Friday to Sunday, I did eight of them. But wow. that means I do one a week. So that means for the next two months, if I don't want yeah. to, I don't have to do any more interviews. I still do it because I like to have that backup of just in case who knows what happens. But I'll do that. And then with my videos, I do three a week. But I learned a trick. This what we're doing now. This this is a podcast. But yeah. the video form counts as a as a as a video also. So of technically, course. so technically, I only do two. But like that's just like. Yeah. Oh, re- repurposing is like, it's a no brainer. Right. And yes. even I, I've started to extract audio and create a podcast. Now, not every video is going to translate to a podcast, right. but it's like, why not? Some people are at the gym. Some people want to hear the same content while driving. Right. Yes. Why not? Like, why not? It's an extra five minutes for me to go from video to audio. So like I've started doing that as well. Exactly. Okay. Um, let's, let's wrap this up. Cause it's been about an hour and, yeah. and a half at least. Um, one of the last questions I like to ask my people that come onto the podcast, which we kind of talked about it before, but I'm going to go, go back to it is, do you think anybody can become a full-time Amazon seller or do you have to have some type of skill or talent to be able to do this full time? I, I always say, um, so just from a skill set perspective, selling on Amazon is simple. At the core, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's hard work. It, there's a learning curve, right? But it's very front loaded. Once you understand like the basics, whether you scale or not, everything's kind of the same, just on a, you're doing more of it, right? right? So like learning how to read Keepa charts, you get better and better and better. And yes, there's nuances, but once you're proficient with it, it doesn't become a whole nother game down the road. And there's not like you have to get a new software every month, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think anybody can do this. I've tried teaching my mom. Um, like, like, I don't think it's for her. She's helping me with prepping another story, but, um, but at the core, anybody can do this as far as replacing a job, like monetarily, obviously there's going to be a lot of factors. I think if someone has a nice chunk that they can start with, when I say nice chunk, like 10, 20 grand, I think you can replace like a five grand a month job within a couple months. Right. Do I think that it can happen like quickly or overnight. No. Would I suggest it right away? No. But do I think somebody can get there? Absolutely. Like no doubt in my mind, you know, I see it firsthand. And like, especially if you treat this as your sole thing, you just full time and you have the capital to back it up. Totally. Nice. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Last thing is where can the people follow you at? Yeah, I appreciate it. So talking about YouTube, uh, the channel is Duke does Amazon. Uh, Instagram, Duke does Amazon and Spotify, Duke does Amazon podcast. I'm Jonathan. Duke is my dog. Uh, and I liked the naming of it and alliteration the Duke does. So that's how we landed on that. Nice. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your time. So I appreciate it. 
I told you guys that we talked about a lot of different topics. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you did, please give this episode a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor and like this video, share this video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and I'll see you guys next week on Friday, of course, for episode 17 of the Amazon Hustle.